podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, so I'm getting a lot of questions about Daily Fantasy. What is it? How does it work? How do I get involved? All that jazz. So pretty simple. If you haven't played it before, each and every week throughout the season, you can pick a brand new team for that week. With a salary cap, you've got to spend within the cap, pick your team, put it into a contest and uh, see how the dice roll for you. We have a listener league set up with our friends at DraftKings, the Coom Show Listener League, and each and every week they are dropping in contests, including plenty of free-to-enter contests where you can go up against your fellow listeners to the show, me, Propo, the Guru Sandrini. We're going to get lots of our show friends and guests and all pros to drop in teams. We're trying to raise money for charity. You can go and try and win prizes galore. There is a lot of fun to be had. So if you click the link in the show notes, for the podcast, wherever you're listening to it, or head on over to our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok now. How about them apples? You can join the league, get involved. Uh, and of course, as always with these things, 18 plus, be gamble aware. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. It is Monday, which can only mean one thing, folks. I'm Mike Monday. I'm Mike back in the house. We're looking back at week seven. Certainly all the key things that you need to know about the action from yesterday. More underdog upsets, more scrappy insurgents. What we thought we knew about this season at the start. Well, most of it's been turned on its head and then some. We've got a bumper mailbag as well. So we'll try and get into as many of those questions through the show as we can at the NC Show. Shout out to all of you who fired questions in. And uh, we will get straight down to business with the brilliant Iron Mike. Look at us, Mike, up and at him early. <laughs> yeah, it must, well, it must be half term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touche. Hey, I've been thinking, which I know I appreciate. Uh-oh. Thing. <laughs> We're all in trouble. <laughs> this show only lasts an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I know you're a massive wrestling fan like me, and we, we, we particularly enjoy the vintage era. But, but latterly in the WWE, they have been doing drafts with the superstars getting moved between the two main brands, Raw and right. SmackDown, right? That's yeah. something they kind of had for a They've while. They've been doing that for a while. Oh, okay, yeah. If, okay. I, if I remember right. Yeah. I've only just clocked it. But they, it kind of peps and breathes a bit of life into one of the brands and, and for the superstar in question. And maybe that's what needs to happen right now with Commissioner Goodell getting involved and just flipping... Brady to Green Bay, Rogers to Tampa. That's <laughs> not a, it's not a bad idea. I wonder in in the um, I, I actually don't follow wrestling anymore. Really, um, it is it's too it's too boring because it, because there's just the one company. Just yeah. but anyway, oh, no, there's no AEW. Yeah. Uh, and, and, so, yeah, company, and, and so and so the um, but there's more than one company. But anyway, so SmackDown <laughs> draft, you know, with the first pick out of out of parts unknown state, Smack, <laughs> SmackDown yeah. draft. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think Goodell's just, I mean, the miracle that they accomplished last night by getting Thursday night football on to Sunday night was, was, <laughs> yeah. really, was oh, really an achievement. Let, let's start know. there then, the, uh, the thriller <laughs> the thriller in Melilla. So my favorite quote from, uh, from the post game was from Mike Tomlin. Now, listeners will know I am a huge Tomlin fan, so uh, I am uh, saying this with due deference and respect. It's about who catches their interception opportunities and who doesn't. <laughs> Was his, uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, he's actually he's actually very accurate, you know, because they had three interceptions and and the Steelers dropped four. Dropped four, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Terrell Edmonds dropped two himself, you know. Um, I I just thought it was, you know, I, I don't have any real skin in the game. Um, I do, I do know one or two people who are saying, you know, Miami, you know, by all rights should be unbeaten right now, which just makes me laugh. But, um, but, um, I was rooting for Pittsburgh at, by the end of the game. Simply because I wanted Mike McDaniel to be punished for not taking the three points <laughs> that would have put the game, you know, not out of reach, obviously, but as but it turned out, problem, would have yeah. been deciding score and and made things much different. And I also still can't really get my head around the Justin Bethel. As Chris Collinworth said, they got mm. their knees tangled. Mm. They were knee fighting. <laughs> 
Hey, you know, that's something I, else we could add. I'm not WWE. sure how you can run up a guy's back and not be called for pass interference. You well, know, but I am worried about this because we've uh, fired out to the mailbag this morning and it's good to see a lot of the uh, NC show faithful up and Adam early as well. And one of the questions uh, risks I might going uh, into overdrive from Chris Payne, but let's get in there. Let's get it out of the way straight away. Is this the worst season for officiating in the NFL? I mean, I might, you've been a long standing. Yeah, in a sense, in a sense, I think we say that every year, (laughs) but, but the problem is as always that there isn't any real consistency And this becomes more obvious when you're watching on Red Zone, for example, even though you never see or you rarely see replays of contentious plays. And sometimes you don't even see a replay in the broadcast. You know, it seems to me as if they're trying to sometimes avoid avoid that. Um, I think in the case of the Bethel thing, they just never really had a great angle on it because I only saw the one brief replay. And, um, well, that's so, a good point. They're not always going to capture it. Yeah, cameras but when sure. you see, when you go from game to game and you, and you see it and, you know, for example, the push-off by Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. Now, as whoever was the announcer said, quite clearly, they generally call the push-off when they see an extended arm. You know, if you push, if you push with just your hands, sort of like um, like you would if you were standing up a linebacker, you're not going to get mm-hmm. called very much. Mm-hmm. If your arm is bent, you're not going. But if you extend the hand mm-hmm. and the arm out there, it's going to it's going to get called, and that's basically what it is. But we see so many push offs all the time. We see both guys pushing off, mm-hmm. which then makes it legal. So it's quote unquote, mm-hmm. because they're quote unquote hand fighting. They're both, they're both at it. And, and that, that to me is what, is what the real problem yeah. is. Um, it's just a, a complete lack of, of, uh, consistency. We need anyway. a completely separate pod on this mic so we can let you out. In fact, he doesn't need any of the rest of us. We'll just we'll just get you in the studio yeah. with the mic and you can roll for an hour. All right, let's go to that Ravens-Browns game, first of all. The Ravens uh, nicking it. Uh, and the Browns, you, you know, you referenced uh, the Amari Cooper offensive yeah. pass interference, but also on the on the first field goal, that seemed to be pretty egregious. We that, were in the we were in the studio, so we couldn't hear Gene's the voice of the great Gene Steratore. Gene Steratore, he was speaking, but we couldn't hear him. What was Steratore saying? Do you think it was the the right call to push him back? Um, to be honest, I didn't see a replay. Mm. And again, why didn't I see a replay? I was watching, you know, um, they were on the live feed from Red Zone. But what Mm -hmm. what Harbaugh was arguing on the sidelines was that the snapper had made a had made a motion Mm. to be snapping. I, you know, again, I I just didn't see it. If he did, it's a penalty and it it should be called. Um, I didn't you didn't see any motion to speak of from from the other linemen. So, you know, but uh, but a snapper can do that kind of are you adjusting the ball or are you getting ready to snap it, snap it kind of thing? And, and um, so I don't know is mm-hmm. the, is the answer to that. Um, I'm perfectly willing to believe it. Mm-hmm. I really thought Cleveland for some reason, you know, a team with Nick Chug and, um, and Kareem Hunt, although Hunt really you know, isn't, carrying much of the load there that's these a, days. But, but the, they, the fact that they didn't run the ball more, mm-hmm. you know, they were, pa- they were, passing three downs when they didn't really need to. Yeah. And okay, now maybe maybe Stefanski said we can't run against this defense very well, but, and but that's all we're doing. And but I mean yeah. the opening drive, that's exactly what they did. And, and exactly. They should have led on it. It was I guess if we're flipping the ground game to the Ravens for a moment, promising that Gus Edwards, who uh, had that uh, ACL injury so uh, as Propo was, was pointing out on, on the show last night, missed the entire uh, of last season and with J.K. Dobbins and others out, that's a real boost for for the Ravens that he seemed to be uh, right back at the races. So a big, uh, big afternoon for him. What do you make overall of the, the Ravens offensive performance against him? <sighs> it's a, it's mediocre C kind of thing. The key mm-hmm. for the Ravens, um, if you wanted one play, would have been the pass to Bateman because mm-hmm. they really need to be throwing over the middle. Uh, one way or the other and, and why some of these teams aren't doing that more, you know, they bring in more receivers and they bring in sort of downfield guys and, and throwing on the outside. And, and if you're going to be a run first possession kind of team, you've got to be able to throw those quick passes within the quarterback's field of vision, mm-hmm. um, which is generally going to be the middle of the field. And and you want what, by doing that, you also you also pull the safeties up, which then 
paradoxically will create the long the long opportunities. But, you know, I, I thought that that to me is is kind of the key to Baltimore. And it's something they've been struggling with. And and to an extent, I mean, they've been looking for someone to replace Anquan Bolden for, for a number of years now. The guy who can do that dirty work, you know, across the middle of the field. And, and you know, I, you think of like Jarvis Landry being able to do that, that same kind of thing. And, mm. um, you know, I often look at those two guys together. Yeah. The um but you know I think that's that's part of it. They're they're a run first team. If you look at, at Greg Roman's offense with Kaepernick in San Francisco, you know, it's it's the prototype of the, of this offense. And they had kind of the same problem um with Cap. And mm. you, you don't want to have to go to a drop back passing game if you can avoid it. In that, in this offense, you want to stay in play action. You want to stay with with Lamar being able to get rid of the ball quickly, and you can't get rid of the ball quickly on a long pass down down the sidelines. But you know they've got Duvernay who can who can do that. They've been looking for guys who can take the top off defenses, but that's not really what the problem has been. Mm. So let's just play that into a few of the other things that came out of of yesterday. So I'm sure we'll we'll deep dive into the. Uh, dysfunction with the Packers and, and, and particularly the Bucks. Out of those three, assuming that you are in the Packers as still contenders, maybe you're not. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking of writing them <laughs> off. But let's assume for now that they are still contenders. And look, the, the Bucks are still top of the South, right? And probably so. The you throw those two into the mix with Baltimore, who, who definitely are. But as we've established, maybe need another piece there for Lamar. And maybe there are some other teams you want to throw in the ring as well. Who do you think is most likely to make a move for a receiver before the trade deadline? Who needs oh, that? That's an interesting question. Um, because the, I mean, the team that probably should is Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was funny because the, the two grumpy old men, um, <laughs> you know, Green Bay season to me is defined by Christian Watson dropping the first pass of the season, yeah, um, right. which was an open touchdown. But it happened to Rodgers again. Rodgers, uh, the other Rodgers, dropped one. That was a sure touchdown. You know. And then and then Evans, of course, as well. And Evans, and then uh, yeah, and Evans had done the exact same thing right. to Brady. And I think <laughs> what happens is these guys just simply they can't cope with it anymore. You know, it's like yeah. I've been doing this for 20 years <laughs> and this isn't supposed to happen to me. I, I saw an interesting stat, if you want to call it a stat. Brady has been held to three or three or fewer points five times in his career, mm. twice with the Patriots in 20 years and three times with the Bucks in the last three years. Wow. Okay. Ponder that for a second, mm. you know, and you know, I, I don't know with him. I, I don't know why Scotty Miller doesn't see a little more playing time because Scotty Miller. Yeah. Because you could use him in a slot and, and make, mm. try to make him a, an over the middle. And that's what Brady has always, you know, the Patriots have always, were always a, tight end slot receiver mm. running back kind of team where the outside receivers were, were an af- not an afterthought, but they were, they were kind of like once everything was rolling well, then they were going to get their chances. Guys like Chris Hogan and mm-hmm. you know, Amendola um, when mm-hmm. he was on the outside or Edelman on the outside, you know, not guys that teams necessarily feared um, when, when you were game planning. So uh, I, I think there's an immense level of frustration in, uh, in, in the, um, in the case of Tampa, they all, they almost need a guy who can stay healthy more than anything, anything uh, else. Sure. Uh, in the case we, of we in the case this. of um, Green, Green Bay. Bay, I think they need somebody that Aaron Rodgers can actually trust. Um, he was starting to do that with Lazard, and Lazard's now out. You know, mm-hmm. in a guy that he can think <laughs> will be his first look, and and he can mm-hmm. throw the ball to him and it will get caught. But those guys aren't going to be on the market. On the market, most- yeah, sure, exactly. I mean, someone like I don't know, Denzel Mims, or for example, is they were going to go there? Is it going to be much of an upgrade? Let's look at the Bucks for a minute because we uh, we see this story before, maybe not as dysfunctional, but the first. Uh, season for Brady in Tampa, we were having at this stage of the season similar kinds of conversations, right? They had that big, big defeat against the Saints. I remember that season. Everybody was saying, oh, this whole experiment has failed and what's Brady done? And nobody was thinking of them as a, as a playoff team, let alone a Super Bowl winning team. So there is still time to turn it around. But is, is the absence of Arians the biggest problem there? To, to oh, that's funny. Team? I was talking, you know, while I'm watching Red Zone, I was talking to to a friend, a friend of mine and, and um, 
he, he had said he'd had a message from his teenage daughter who, who said, Dad, I just discovered tequila. It's great. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. And That's I'm the kind thinking, of message you don't want to be getting. I'm thinking up in Bruce Arians <laughs> suite or whatever, wherever he's watching the game from, there's probably a few glasses clicking <laughs> and kind of like this kind of stuff didn't go on when I was the coach. He's opening yeah. up the mini bottle. The Malibu's coming out. Those little mini bottles. Yeah. And I'm not color. sure. I'm not sure, you know, how the offense doesn't appear to have changed that much. I think pro- probably you could, you could say the offensive line mm. has changed a bit. And that that's a little, that's part of the problem, you know, sure. between guys leaving and injuries their their offensive line isn't as good as, as it was. And, and mm. we saw that last week with Brady. but also the receivers have been in and out. They don't have a tight end, you know, not, not criticizing Cameron Bray, but he is what he is. He's not a, he's not a Gronk. He's not a mm. game breaking tight end. Um, they don't really have like a receiving first tight end even to, to kind of take up some of that, some, some of that slack effectively. Uh, you notice that um, jo- Julian, w- Justin Watson got a touchdown. Um, and, mm. Who's, you know, who the books discarded. Cut, yeah. Um, um, and so, yeah, I, I think, plus let's give Carolina a little credit. Um, well, sure. That they were a good yeah. defensive team under yeah. Phil Snow, I thought, but they were always having to, you know, play bad situations. But whatever Wilkes did, because Snow left with with Rule, mm. whatever Wilkes did, they played a great defensive game um, against Tampa. They made it they made it really hard for them, and offensively. Christian McCaffrey went and they just went to the running game, you know, yeah. with Chuba and Foreman. Now, if Chuba's out, that's going to be a big, a big blow for them. But, mm. you know, with PJ Walker at quarterback and and your your second and third running backs, you know, they had a decent enough offensive game against a Tampa defense that looks relatively tired. Yeah. I mean, on both both of both of those teams, that, that's what I want to key in on, on next. So everybody inevitably concentrates on Brady, on Rogers, the offensive misfiring, but defensively, we've talked about this in recent weeks on the show with, with Green Bay and their struggles, but Tampa's defense to allow that performance from PJ Walker and look, respect to PJ for stepping in. But this is a, a third stringer that's been made to look like a, a, a world beater. So what are the problems defensively? We talk so much about Brady doesn't have enough. He doesn't have his comfort kit and Gronk. He doesn't have this. What defensively, what's going I, wrong with Tampa? I think, I think in one sense, they're deep. Um, I mean, obviously they they miss Sue a bit because he mm. he was still a force that let Vitavia do more things and mm-hmm. and JPP. I'm yeah. not sure what, but we saw JPP yesterday. A cameo yeah. from him, didn't we? Yeah, Step it up, still the, but the thing was, they weren't they weren't an overpowering defensive team in even in the Super Bowl year. But they played really well in the playoffs, and obviously they had the great Super Bowl against the backup tackles from from Kansas City. <laughs> um, and the secondary is is good, but but not great. And so I think I think we kind of overrated them mm. as a defense, and it's still a defense that could probably put things together. Um, maybe Todd Bowles isn't able to focus enough on right, it, you know, point. which, yeah. which is the other thing of, of becoming head coach. Yeah. Um, he, and although, you, you know, that, that may or may not be, nobody doubts say that Bill Belichick is focusing on the defense when he wants to, you yeah, know, that's Belichick, that right? I mean, that's sort of what I meant for, about Arians yeah. though, because I mean, and, and I know there's a lot of talk of, oh, Brady didn't, he didn't see eye to eye and Brady was the one that forced him out of dodge. But yeah, that's, it's a great point you make about Bowles and that step up, just the, the presence, the experience of Arians in that organization, particularly yeah. after they won a Super Bowl, And there are a lot of big egos, big characters in there and managing that situation and managing those, those characters. Yeah. And the key to their defense is the two inside linebackers, you know, who, who really have to cover lots of ground and do it well. Mm. And and so that, that's something you don't necessarily depend on. And Winfield got hurt in that game, who I think is, I think is their best defensive player apart from Via yeah, um, yeah. or Vea, um, yeah. you know, and um, that, that could hurt them a lot, a lot too. Green Bay's defense is a little tougher to figure mm. because last year they played pretty well. Um, and everyone gave Joe Barry a lot of credit for, you know, playing a nice, steady zone based defense after Pat Mike Patton and a kind of gambling, you know, uh, you know, let's blitz now because I think they're going to pass kind of mm-hmm. kind of defense. Um, That's my kind of defense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they um, 
people are, are have been picking that that uh, zone apart pretty much. Uh, mm. But credit to them, I mean, they, if they had, well, that game would have been like twenty three to, to seven. It was twenty three to you know ten at best if the defense hadn't you know produced points and, and opportunities for them. Mm. You know, they they got one touchdown on the um on the um um Devondre, Devondre Campbell pick six and they should have had another on Russell Douglas uh yeah got the, yeah, got yeah. the fumble the fumble six and they called a, a really tick, yeah. ticky tack um uh, illegal contact penalty on mm. on Eric Stokes who might have been six yards off the line of scrimmage. But I mean it's again it's the kind of thing that happens on every play. You know, the, the, the defensive back makes his initial contact wherever he happens to be standing when the guy gets to him. Mm. Um, and as long as it's not like 10 yards downfield, they usually don't call it. So, mm. you know, I, I, and they, there was another one in that game, too. The um, the uh, uh, was it Sammy Watkins um, going mm. downfield and and um, San Just kind of was holding him back going for a piggyback ride <laughs> and they, they called interference and they called it off because they said the ball wasn't catchable. Right. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. but I mean you know, if he hadn't been, if he hadn't been held back for 10 yards, it might well have been catchable. You know, I, that, that to me is the craziest, the craziest call uh, this non catchable thing, because mm. you, you, you know, if it's out of bounds, fair enough, because the guy couldn't get to it. If it was out of the end zone, the guy couldn't get to it. But when it's in the middle of the field, you know, and the quarterback is leading the receiver, obviously, and thinking he's going to run under it. Mm. And, you know, it made no sense to me. But again, uh, this is inconsistency. Yeah. Okay. Couple more on just on the Panthers. Story came out yesterday. I think it was Shefty that re- reported it, broke it initially that they had turned down an offer of two first rounders for Brian Burns. So I just wanted your take on. The decision to deal McCaffrey, obviously with Robbie Anderson, it was it was slightly different because they had uh, fallen out. But when you're in a situation like this, do they know who their head coach is going to be? Does that give you an indication that they maybe they do know what the game plan is? When you're looking at a, a, a season where you're going to be definitely posting a losing record and you're getting rid of key pieces to a to accumulate draft picks and to rebuild and to re-up. At what point do you draw the line? Why do they keep Burns but deal McCaffrey? That's a good question. I mean, I think the the offers that they got were probably an indication of why. I don't think anyone would offer them two firsts for Christian McCaffrey. Mm. Um, secondly, I don't think they knew how to use Christian McCaffrey to be the most effective. Mm. Um, and San Francisco is a team that will be able to better take advantage of his skill set. Um, you know, and I wouldn't judge anything on the first game because, you know, you haven't, you haven't acclimated him fully into the team at that, at that point, but I would be very loath to get rid of Burns simply because that talent is far rarer than McCaffrey's talent. You know, you, the fact that McCaffrey can, can both catch and receive is great. Um, but, Teams don't necessarily need to have a guy who's that good at both um, because they can scheme situationally to to avoid that. And McCaffrey is also an injury risk. Um, his injury history is something that would put you off. But Burns' mm. ability to rush the passer is exactly what the game now is is kind of built on. You know, mm. it's um, two firsts is is, a temp, is tempting. Um, so it's a really tough. I mean, who the only other guy on their team probably who could demand any big payment is Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, DJ Moore, DJ. but he's no Love one's going to give. I don't think anyone's going to get um, give up two firsts for him. He's not going to. You're not going to get two firsts for DJ. No, much as I love him in my fantasy team I'm, this week, much to the uh, derision of Propo and uh, the Guru James Sandrini, and it was great to see DJ stepping up and getting getting a score. <laughs> so the uh, I'm just look. I'm just looking right now just to see. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's not like they have anyone who can step right in either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as a pass rusher, they grew, they drafted Gross Matos, yeah, um, and they're strong up, up front at, with Derek Brown. But um, yeah, there is no other pass rusher there now. Like, I don't know. You could argue you can pick up guys, but you know, 
short term. A lot of teams go with short term pass rushers for a year or two, mm. um, which is what JPP is right now. Uh, Houston, Justin Houston is. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're guys back to back gonna, sacks for Houston. You see that on back to back plays. I love it. That yeah, they're going to they're going to get you know they're going to get twenty. 20 or so snaps a game mm. um, in passing situations. Mm-hmm. So you, you can do that. Um, and and I think they have to accept they're in a rebuilding mode. So, you know, I, but I think they're worried about alienating the fan base. Yeah, completely. that's right. It's a fine line. If you just, and also if, you're gonna, if you are going to hire a new coach, mm. <laughs> Hey, now come coach us. Cause we just got rid of all three of our best players, <laughs> but we still got DJ. We've still yeah, got DJ. But we still got Sam Darnold. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. Where do I sign the let's move on to that chiefs 49ers game. Then great game, and wasn't it? Really was. I mean, the Chiefs, uh, uh, when everything is chiming and everything is gelling, if we're talking about the the fractious, um, broken offenses that we're seeing with Tampa and Green Bay at the moment, this was uh, pretty much a masterclass in everything coming together post the post Tyree Gira that the offensive line was dominating. Apart from that misstep early on and the, the turnover early on from Mahomes, it was a really, really fluent game all around offensive, the ground game. And there was a lot of talk about, well, look at Edward Salaire's being been benched and yet he stepped up and had a part as well. I mean, everyone seemed to contribute. Iron Mike, what do you make? Yeah, of that? I think that was what what you might call a symbolic benching. <laughs> sure. Well, he said, yes. I think what what did what did um what did um Pacheco have? Eight carries. Eight carries to, to Edward Celeste. I think he only had six. Edward Celeste, but he yeah. had the score, of course. But yeah. and Pacheco had a nice kickoff return. But you know, mm. when, when Mahomes threw the interception early, I said, "Ah, now they've got them right where they want them." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think. Um, you know, the, the basic thing with with when you're playing Kansas City, even when you're at home, is is the simple one that the announcers were repeating. You can't settle for field goals mm. because when they come down, they're going to get touchdowns. Mm. Um, and, and we saw it at its best. I, I thought it was it was a remarkably well schemed performance by Andy Reid, mm. um, the way they integrated the run game. Um, with the past game, it was a pretty spectacular performance by Jay, Jay, um, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Um, six catches, 98 for him. Juju, yeah, who, uh, of course, Hardman. I mean, everybody was, there. everyone was playing Hardman. You know, they finally got Hardman to do what the, you know, Hardman was basically drafted to be Tyreek Hill, too. Mm. You know, whether Andy thought they could use two of them at the same time or whether he just wanted to have a backup plan, you know, and move it. But, but that was a, you know, that was the kind of game you might have expected from a Tyreek Hill. But even though he's had two rushing TDs in a game, as far as I know. Mm. Um, Valdez Scatling as well. He's had back to back big games. That was, that was what I was about to say. The, the key play in that game was the long pass to, to Valdez Scantling. Yeah. You know, they had, they, it was, they had two third and longs, very longs, and they got huge chunk plays on both of them, mm. um, which to me is, is an achievement. Um, and a couple of people were pointing out that the Niners deep defense is not as good as people think it is. Um, and, you know, and if you want to make excuses for the Niners, they, they're they're still injury riddled on defense and right. Greenlaw went out during during the game, you know, and they're injury riddled beyond the guys that are already on the IR, like Kin like Kinlaw. Mm-hmm. Um so so that so that hurts them. But um on McCaffrey, Mike, so you said don't read too much into how he was used. I think he had uh what about sixty odd yards. They said it before the game they would probably only use him in red go- red zone situations. So that was the assumption, but we saw him get involved in the action early on, but then uh, uh, sparingly used, I think, or at least yeah, uh, I, I, conservatively used, right? What, yeah. what What do you think his role is going to be going forward? Why well, do you like the fits? What I wrote last week was, you know, I can see them using him and Debo mm-hmm. to create similar kind of guess guessing game situations with, with the defense. Put, You know, you line them up, you put them in motion, you bring them back across the formation in motion, you put Debo in the backfield and McCaffrey out on the on the slot and just trying to create a little bit of confusion in the mm. defense as to who's covering whom. And, um, and I think I, if I were them, I would be quite, quite committed to using him in the slot a lot more mm. um, just to ease the wear and tear. But you know, one of the strange things at Carolina, when you watch their games, McCaffrey was doing an awful lot of his running between the tackles right. Heavy but with in a man blocking scheme, which means, you know, you're, you're running straight ahead and you're going to get hit more. 
when when he, when these guys run between the tackles in the San Francisco scheme, you're you're generally running to a hole. You know, you're you're looking for a hole and making the one cut. Mm. Um, or if you're Jeff Wilson, you're just running <laughs> to the <laughs> hole. Because if Jeff Wilson could could actually make that one cut, he, you know, the way time, that he run, greatest, yeah. great. I mean, <laughs> he is good. He's very good. You know, he's very fast. He's quick to the hole and he's strong. Um, he had one great run that was called back by two holding penalties, both of which I couldn't complain about. But, you know, that was like he that was one of those where where he's directed to the hole. You know, it's going to be there. Um, So I think if they get Mitchell back, Mitchell and Wilson and McCaffrey, give them the the same kind of versatility they had when it was Coleman and, and Wilson and Mostert. Yeah, yeah and Mostert sure. had a great game for Miami. You know, if he's healthy, he's he's a huge. I did his games in college. You know, at mm-hmm. Purdue, when they were getting shelled by you know Purdue was not very good, but he was obviously a talent. You know that, but they, you didn't know how he was going to be used. He went through what five teams before he landed in San Francisco and mm. something like that. He was you know, so so yeah. I just thought it, it was um, it was good. I had one moment where where. Watching the official, it appeared to me that he threw a flag for um, a hold downfield after he saw the flag for roughing the um, for holding in the in the backfield to protect Mahomes. It was literally like he was looking back toward the line of scrimmage and not looking at the the right. play in front of him. And then the flag went, and then he kind of went, "Oh!" and he pulled. The oh, flag here's my flag. <laughs> yeah, and I I couldn't figure that. I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything. No, but of I, I couldn't figure I couldn't figure that that one out, and. Um, um, there was a lot of controversy over the low block on Bosa, mm-hmm. but that's a crazy rule. I mean, I didn't think it was a bad call, except that you rarely see it called. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can't block the lineman low outside the tight end box, right. which tackle box with another couple of yards added on. And he was clearly outside that box. I mean, you know. Not, you, you really have to be, in, you, in my mind, you have to be inside the box or else you're outside. It's kind of like the offside rule. Mm. You know, uh, if you're on the edge of it, you're, you're right. You're outside, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're a foot outside, you're outside. You're out, but, click but the up, whole yeah. thing is how do little guys block big guys? If you can't go low, you know, it's like that that's been football forever. Um, right. And I can see, you know, if you're, if you're coming from the side, fine. You know, if you take a guy out from the side low, that's one thing, but if you're head on, mm. And you go down, you know, he can go over you or or not. But, you know, it it, it to me seems like a, a crazy, a crazy rule. Um, I did, but like I said, I, I all credit to the Chiefs in this one. So yeah. I, I I even thought um, San Francisco was getting three. I was even tempted to think that the Niners, you know, might be able to keep it that close. Sure. There's at, a lot of money at, coming into the Niners. The line went down home. to one and a half, maybe two. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, comfortable win for them. Uh, Let's talk Jets Broncos next because we've been J-E-S-T, on, Jets. Is Rufus about? We should be. I should probably always check before he's, he's right here, but he doesn't okay. care anymore. He's, not, <laughs> he's so nonchalant about that that playoff drive. Well, let let's get to that first of all because we've we've commented the last few weeks uh, about the surprise packages in the in the NFL and both the New York teams have been in that mix and the Giants are a little bit further ahead and of course big win for them as well. We'll talk about that, them in a moment, but. I'm going to ask the same question to you. At what point do we start moving from the position of, oh, they're scrappy and surgeon jets, good on them. It's better than we thought it was going to be to, are these guys, are they playoff contenders? I mean, who are, the, who are these guys? <laughs> are they? I mean, who are the jets? Brees Hall, uh, that's obviously a huge boat. Uh, really sad. If he's he, out, if he's out, they, they, they've got is, a problem. It's yeah. a torn ACL. So he's, he's out. So that is, that is a big problem, but, and maybe that, that will, answer the question that no Brees Hall, no credible playoff drive, but we got to look at them like five and two as at least legitimate contenders for the playoffs, right? The way they're playing. Well, in that, again, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in that division, they're going to have a problem. Yeah. Um, And they're always going to have a problem with teams that they can't keep to a manageable score uh, because the offense isn't really very good. Um, Mm. Lafleur. LeFleur Jr., um, mm-hmm. you know, to the guy. They're getting a lot out of it, but I don't think you can depend on Wilson, mm. you know, to play a clean game the way Daniel Jones has more or less been for, for the Giants. Um, you, you know, you, you see what they're 
what the Giants are asking of him. And mm. and I'm not sure Wilson can can deliver that. Um, and if Hall's out, it's going to be even harder. But they've benefited excuse me, they benefited from their defense dominating teams yeah. for the past few weeks. Yeah, three um, uh, with the Broncos at nine points. It's the third team in a row they've held to below 20. Yeah, and they getting... might they might give the Dolphins problems. They they will give the Patriots problems, most likely. Um, uh, but, you know, but, but Buffalo, I, I think, is, is going to be a different story. Um, four and two to five and two. I I think they're they're a long shot for the playoffs. Mm. Um, in this last week, uh, the game with Denver was the only one in the league with palindromic records, where a four and two team was playing a two and four team. Ah, right, uh, which That's, always excites me. Always no like end. to always like to pick that one up. Well, Denver now uh, dropping a two and five. No Russell Wilson, yeah. obviously. With not Brett, that made a difference. Well, hey, Brett Rippin, they forty six. <laughs> they look just as dysfunctional with Brett run the ball. I thought. I mean, I, I thought they would be all about running the ball with with no Wilson, but 46 well, attempts for Rippon. It's funny because as the, as the you know, everyone knew, the last time Rippon started was against the Jets. Mm. Um, and he came out and he completed his first pass. And I said, ah, you know, this is great. They're going to let him, they're going to let him go. You know, let he's going to throw for 300 yards and everybody's mm. going to, going to go, you know, oh, quarterback controversy. Well, that didn't last. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because he completed his first two here. Um, on the, onto the Giants, another big win for them. This is a, Coach of the year, uh, coach of the year. Well, hey, I said it on this program after four game after four games. Coach of the it, year, got it on tape, Mike. Don't worry about that. That's right. Uh, from uh, all he needs to about... do is get a hundred MPs to sign up for him. Oh, actually, hang on. Before we get to the Giants, I just want to go to Twitter because Richie, this is the question I want to ask you. Uh, thanks, Richie. At Richie knows at the NC shows our Twitter handle, Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. I and Mike, uh, will the Broncos, just staying on the Broncos for a moment, will the Broncos score more than 10 points at Wembley on Sunday? <laughs> well, the game, on the fast track at Wembley, <laughs> it's going to be, I don't know, is Russ, is Russ, um, uh, He's coming gonna, over to he's cook. Gonna, um, he's going to travel. Whether he's going to fully cook or just you know chop up some carrots and uh, leeks in the kitchen, I don't know. He, <laughs> I, I think they're expecting. I think they're going to. He's going to have to play right. I mean, they're in a last chance saloon at two and five. If they if they don't get a win at Wembley, well, well, you know, the, the Giants got twenty three against Jacksonville. Yeah. So you would have thought that the Broncos might manage that. Although mm. Nathaniel Hackett is not. <laughs> Mike Kafka. <laughs> is he on the hottest of hot seats? Uh, do you think? Hackett's? I think Hackett's got to be done? not the hottest of hot seats, but mm. I, because I find it hard to, I find it hard to make excuses. You know, mm. um, Russell Wilson has not turned out to be what they paid all that money to get. But is whose fault is that? You know, are you also on that, Mike? Are you so far he hasn't, or because like seems to be quite a lot of people thinking he is done. This is it. It's one of those he's just gone off a cliff and he's never going to be anywhere near the the vintage Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I I think I was making excuses for him two weeks ago here. Yeah, um, because Russell had played so bad, mm-hmm. um, and then I thought, well, yeah, what can you do? But but part of being that head coach is adjusting to that. You know, mm-hmm. seeing what the problem is and trying to correct it. And as far as I see, that isn't happening in Denver. You know, it, it continues to be the same kind of mishmash of their defense keeps them in in some games. You know, um, it, it's kind of a boom or bust kind of thing. But, you know, the Jets got 16 and we're lucky to get that, really. Mm. You know, the, the one run by Hall absented. So, so yeah, um, I think I was what did I, I was looking at that and at one point there were four straight punts in that game. Mm. Then there was a, a score or something. Then there was there were like two straight punts followed by a missed field goal. Mm. And then there were six straight <laughs> punts followed by an interception. I'm gonna go back and watch it all the way back. Yeah. Uh, so it was like it was like um I, I may have been harsh on Miami and Pittsburgh because this yeah. one was, was like yeah. it was like Thursday night game, game, as well. Of course on Thursday night he had 76 points, which mm. which was they found this magical way to turn a 12-9 game into a 42-34 game. It was no better. It was just more, just more points. I think Jeff basically Jesus, the algorithm there somehow because um, he can control, I think, the space-time continuum. You mentioned the Giants win. Uh, so yeah, that, to... that was impressive. I mean, like I yeah. said, I had problems with the officiating in that game mm. on, on both sides, really. Um, but um, 
it was another one where you got burned by going for fourth by by going for a fourth down when there's still time to play. Yeah. You know, you don't actually have to. Yeah. And that's I Peterson think, though, isn't it? All over. He likes. To yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, but, but you know, that's that, that excuse doesn't, doesn't save you. Um, sure. You know, from, from I, I thought Mike McDaniel got hurt by doing, and I'm not doing outcome, outcome bias there. You know, mm. I'm looking at it and saying, take the three points. The game situation says, Put that three points in the basket, you know. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I've been, Mike. You know, this is something that we, I've been going on about for at least a couple of years. This uh, over aggression, um, but, but at the same time, to defend it, and we we often cite the Vrabel in London example when he was in his first year and he went for well. The that win. that was different though, because that's a two point conversion going for a win. Is how different is it though? In, I don't know. In a losing season, and he's a new coach, and it's set to statement. But how different is it if you are? A Rivera Peterson kind of coach, and you dance with the one that brung you. That to to, to deviate from that ultra aggressive gambling. Well, mindset. Ron wasn't ultra aggressive until everyone got on him for being too conservative. <laughs> and then, you, if you remember crazy. back, you know, and then and then he went to become Riverboat Riverboat Ron. But yeah, Doug <laughs> Peterson's always been aggressive in that sense, right. right? Aggressive in that sense. McDaniel obviously is is quote unquote analytic oriented. Yeah. But you know, but at at some point early in the game, I understand an argument where if you're right on the goal line, you know, you get the score, it 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 establishes something. Um if you're right on the goal line and you don't get the score, your defense maybe keeps them in, you get good field position afterwards. But you're taking you're, you're taking those points off the board, and if you look at if you look at you know Belichick for example, mm-hmm. they they they're really boring, but it's it's become effective. It's effective, you know? sure. We'll we'll go down. They'll you know it's fourth and fourth and two at the seven. Kick the field goal. We'll take the yeah. three. You know, yeah. thanks very much. And and I don't understand why McDaniel couldn't see that now. You know, because you're up six. A field goal is huge when you're up mm. six in the fourth quarter, mm. you know, um, for ob- you know, for obvious reasons. And had he lost to a late touchdown, I would have been very satisfied um, mm. for, because he hadn't done that. And that's mm. what I don't get. You know, um, he's got the weapons. Yes, you've got a good offense in all. But, but why? Why take that chance? Um you know, and Jacksonville, it's it's again, they've got weapons, but it's still it's still harder, harder to argue. And you don't see that you didn't see the Giants really you know, doing because that's what the Giants are based on. It's kind of like keep the game close. They'll, they'll take points when when they can get him. Um, I thought the Giants, you know, with the three was a great bet and, and the Giants at uh, 13 to 10 was a pretty good outside bet mm-hmm. um, in that game, but it was a very, very close game. They're, they're pretty well balanced teams. So now yeah. the question is why is one of those teams six and one and the other right. two, two and five, right. you know, um, and not knocking Doug Peterson, but um, I think what Brian Dayball has done there is, is really um, remarkable and, mm. you know, and, and Kafka and Wink Martindale, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're playing to their team strengths. And to be honest, if Derek, Dexter Lawrence hadn't had two, I thought, pretty soft penalties in that game, but at key times, um, you know, they run away with it. it they probably they probably get it a much easier, mm. easier, um, easier win. Wink, the blink, uh, the blitz king of uh, New York. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and you think about Wink's reputation and when when Baltimore got rid of him, then we said, well, you know, Wink is so boom or bust. He's so wild. You know, he doesn't, you know, he can't play a controlled kind of thing. And he seems to be doing pretty well yeah. with it. Yeah. With it there. Yeah, yeah. With, limited, with limited pieces as well. The, a couple of other things on this very quickly. So uh, next gen uh, stat of the game, as per NFL.com, uh, Danny Dimes, 10 of 14, for 105 and a touchdown on play action, uh, which was almost 50% of his dropback Sunday. So the, the play action really working well for him. Yeah, I, I, and that, that's, that's, you know, that's worth noting because why you don't want to be in a game where he's got to play drop back from the pocket. And, mm-hmm. and that's when mistakes tend to happen. I mean, the, it, in my mind, the key play of that game, well, it wasn't in my mind. It is the key play of that game was when they had a third and short, and they they ran um, they ran Jones on a naked bootleg mm-hmm. uh, against the flow of the play. They mm-hmm. they faked to Barkley and Jones um, put the ball on his hip. 
and yeah. um, and, and went, went. went around for for like 20, 20 some odd yards. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was he, the key play of the game, really. And, and, Jones, you know, and, you, and if they hadn't messed up the clock with this was another one that I couldn't get when Saquon went down. Oh, yes. And right. He okay. said his footed. He'd go, going go out, out of bounds. bounds. Yeah. At what point? You know, it it made no sense to me. And then you went back from twenty four seconds to one oh seven. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, if you're going to do that, don't they get the playback that happened yeah. after? <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. if if that time didn't exist and the play that didn't exist, that that that's <laughs> yeah. what I couldn't. That's what I couldn't understand. You know, it's a very fat point. Only in the NFL, it's like creating a new a new reality. <laughs> that's why I thought. You know, all, from that point, I thought everything was sort of like in favor of the Jags. Mm. Um, Maybe that's what the witching hour is. Maybe Scott Hansen pushes a button and we go into some kind of alternate reality. Uh, I liked when Hansen was trying to explain Isaac Newton's laws laws of motion was he? I didn't hear that. <laughs> it's like he, he should, might as well be, be describing Nate Newton's the theory of relativity. <laughs> Wayne Newton. <laughs> <laughs> the um, other thing on just on Jones, we, we know you just uh, highlighted his ability as, as a runner. Where does he sit? If with all always think of Allen, of course, Lamar, Kyler Murray as, as, as the most effective dual threat quarterbacks, the most effective with their, with their legs. Jones has got to be what top six, right? Yeah. Now? Jones is funny. It's kind of like Allen. When Allen was at Wyoming, he wasn't really a running quarterback per se. And when mm. Jones was at Duke, he wasn't really a running quarterback. Mm. Um, you know, and, and he, he was coached by David Cunliffe, who's like a noted quarterback whisperer kind of, kind of coach. Um, and accuracy was kind of a question with them both, you know, although it's often hard to tell when you're playing for a team like Duke in the ACC, you're overmatched in a lot of games, you know, mm. so you're in effect running for your life. Um, but Jones was more more in the pocket in Wyoming. It's a slightly different problem in that you're playing against whack um past defenses, mm. you know, where not necessarily as talented all all across the board on defense as if you were playing in the in the SEC or or something like that. When we're saying whack, are we saying whack as in whack? Oh, whack, whack is the whack, Western yeah. Athletic okay. Conference. Yeah. Sorry. I could that could be, it could be used as a very demeaning team, <laughs> though I have great, great respect saying. for the whack. Um, what of course. But <laughs> that, that really didn't sound good. Um, <laughs> definitely staying in though. I'll definitely staying in. Yeah, clipping that up. That's when you ringtone. <laughs> yeah, so so I think they've made a virtue of that with Jones, yeah. and he's done really. Now the question is whether that's long term sustainable. And when I say long term sustainable, I mean because the Giants are going to have to offer him a long term contract or let him go. Yeah, presum- presumably, and that's to me that's become a very difficult decision mm-hmm. because. Right now, you would say that the Giants are not there because of Daniel Jones, but because they have worked to scheme the best from Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Whereas they might have be able to have a quarterback that they wouldn't have to scheme specifically to get the best from him because right. he, he would be able to do more things uh, to do. And that's going to be a dilemma for them, you know, especially if they really if this continues, which. Um, given you've, the got the dilemma. you've got the dilemma as well. If, if you are getting the best out of him and it's working for you, you can go and spend a dollar elsewhere, right? And, and, and whether that is in draft capital or in terms of free agency, right? That's exactly where I, where I was going to go with that. And it's a, it's a very good point. You know, so um, how how do you judge the point at which a quarterback will not get any better for you. Mm. And if he's not going to get any better, that means defenses are going to be able to scheme for his weak, the weaknesses you've been covering up is probably too strong a word, but the witness weaknesses you've been kind of pushing to the side because you've been emphasizing his strengths. Right. So when, when defenses sit down and look at last year's game tape and they'll say, Oh, well, God, you know, look, they never make him do this. We got to make him do this. Mm. Um, you know, they always want to do this. We got to stop them from doing that, that, so I, I think that's going to be a, a, a real situation. And unfortunately, there's no midpoint normally in the NFL. You could franchise him and draft another quarterback and bring him along. But, you know, the the option of sort of a three-year contract or a two-year contract where you then feel free to bring a guy in to be the long-term replacement, which obviously Daniel Jones doesn't necessarily want, want to see. And, and mm. it create, you're going to create a quarterback controversy. Mm. Um 
which is a distraction mostly in the media, but it does tend to filter down. Filter through, yeah. It, um, it's so, so, like, so I think it's a real problem. The better they do, hmm. the bigger the problem. Of course, gets. yeah, yeah, right. It is exactly right. Is Gino a long term, or is he long term? That's a really interesting question too, because um, I don't. Shane Waldron doesn't seem to get mentioned much, but he's hmm. the offensive coordinator there, and he's a kind of McVeigh you know, that fam family of coaches. Mm. Um, and Gino, if you look back on his career, was not treated well in terms of right. quarterback development. Um, so, so you want to, you want to cut him some slack there, but you know, he hasn't, he, he's done everything asked of. He's a good fit for that system because he throws such a good long ball, um, which is what, what they still, even despite Shane Waldron, you know, are are basically based on is mm. is still running the ball and then and then throwing the the deep ball, which is kind of Pete Carroll doing a, a Bill Parcells kind of mm. kind of offense. On uh, that, DK Metcalf incidentally suffering a big injury in the game, and that's going to be a problem for them. Mm. Yeah, um, and I'd pick them over the Chargers. Um, um, Kind of almost at first, I was just saying, well, 6.5. I kind of like, and the more I thought about the game, the more I mm. kind of oh, like that. And of course, now Mike Williams is hurt, and Keenan Allen played the first half, but not the second half. So, yeah, you know, JC Jackson as well. JC Jackson's yeah. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and he got benched. <laughs> JC, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was last week or two weeks ago, but but you know, okay, let's spend uh, eighty gazillion dollars on on a cornerback and, and then bench him, you know. And again, I think part of that is being unable to read the room, um, mm. the room in this case being that where he was playing um, previously and and how he was being used, you know. To he was an un, undrafted guy, remember, mm. you know, um, and. Bill's done very well with those mm -hmm. kind of guys over at Malcolm Butler, Selling um, high, yeah. Jackson, Jonathan Jones. And yeah, the, yeah. You know, um, because because they fit what he wants to do and they understand it. Mm. Um, you know, they they've got the smarts to understand it and uh to make the best of their and, and that's why he lets them go. Mm. You know, I mean he let Gilmore go, and Gilmore's still mm -hmm. a, a very effective player. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So, uh, oh, I was thinking think of smarts. Propose just uh, chimed in on the on the group chat here. Uh, the Seahawks are favorites over the Giants next week. Seahawks Giants, of course, week eight matchup. The Seahawks are favorites over them right now. That's interesting. Is it be in Seattle? Proper the game is it? it must be. Yeah. yeah, I mean that. Obviously, you get you got to give them a few points for yeah. being for being at home. Um, that is interesting, and what that says to me is that people are thinking that the Seahawks defense is getting back to. Mm. Pete Carroll kind of glory days, you know, where where you get the pass rush and and um, the the woolen the woolen effect, um, Tariq Woolen, you know, being the new Richard Sherman or um, and uh, and I love the guy. I, mean, I, I was mm. really surprised I, when he went to Seattle. I mean, all I said was, yeah. Here we go. You know, Take two. well, he's a he's perfect for and all. Everyone's looking for long corners. So why is this guy going down to the fifth round? You know, mm. um, everybody's usually willing to take a risk on measurables. You know, he played at, at UTSA, so that's you know mid major kind of kind of range. But God, he's what six six three two oh five six four two oh five ran a four two eight or something mm. like that. You know, it's like. Well, uh huh? <laughs> you know, well, speaking of speed, uh, Kenneth Walker's pace, blimey! I mean, Kenneth Walker, wow, jets on him. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that is a that is a a huge, huge edge they've got because when Rashad Penny went down, it, you know, I know we're in, a, in an era. We talked about this on the show, didn't we? With uh, running backs having a, a reboot, or in an era where, yeah, okay, next man up, next man up. But that felt like, it, given this this particular style of offense, it was going to be a huge blow. And Kenneth Walker, absolutely blazing a trail. So uh, looking forward to that. I love the fact also it's Monday morning on Mike and Propo is already looking at the degenerate lines for, uh, <laughs> for next week already getting into business. Hey, listen, a couple more before we get out of Dodge. So, because I mentioned that we got lots on uh, on Twitter. So, oh, Did you see Malik Willis's debut? Ah, for, I'm glad you mentioned Tennessee. that. Because yeah. Yeah. Ian completed a handoff. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. And Ryan Tannehill trending uh, <laughs> at the time of recording this, which is interesting too. Um, Glasgow RK Spurs has got in touch. Hey, hey, Glasgow Spurs. Are Tennessee, he asks, recovering the form that gave them the best regular season record in the AFC last year, or are they just lucking out 
against mediocre opposition? Well, I don't think they're they're in that great form. I mean, it, you know, they're not a best record team, but what they do so well um, um, is to get teams to play down to their level, basically. Mm. Yeah. Atlanta was doing when Atlanta was winning, you know, when when Atlanta could do that, they 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 were um they were winning some games or keeping them close. And with Derrick Henry, that's e- that's easy to do. And Henry had a very Henry game, you know, where mm. where you just pound and pound and pound, and finally he gets one good run at a key, you know, you know, one big run, I should say, not good run, um, at a you know at a at a key uh, moment in the game, which was which was good. And and they play a, they play defense based on trying to contain you and and. Um, and keep the game manageable, which, mm. you know, which is a very good strategy. <laughs> and everybody thinks that, you know, the NFL is, is, is going to be what the league wants it to be, which is seven on seven touch high fly uh, yeah. basketball. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, the team, a lot of the teams that are doing well or better than expected are teams that, that can, can, can run the ball when they need to um, or want to, control the game, control the game, not make a lot of mistakes, play situational football, um, give you stuff, but not give you anything that, that breaks. And that's kind of a definition of, of Tennessee under Vrabel. I mean, mm. I, I think he's much underrated as yeah, a coach. I agree. Um, because they're not flashy and because you can't, most of the time you can't really favor them against teams, you know, mm-hmm. cause you always, and, and that kind of strategy does run into road bumps when you run into a really good team mm-hmm. that has a, a powerful offense and a good defense. Mm-hmm. But how many of those are there? There's Buffalo and Kansas city and, yeah. you know, is there is there another one really? Uh, well, no, I, I think that they're definitely out there, and and I think as you said that Tannehill is the perfect quarterback for this team because he's exactly that uh, level where he's underrated, uh, goes about his business, has a limit clearly, has you know ha- has limitations and has a ceiling. But yeah, to me, effective. watching him in this game before he was hurt, but it, but it looked to me like he's having. He's having to put a little bit extra on the ball, motion wise, mm. you know, um, uh, you know, and maybe the arm just isn't quite as as good as it was. But you know, but look at Atlanta with Mariota, you sure. know, and again, he, he's got limitations, so they scheme around the limitations, you mm-hmm. know, and and they think they can play a kind of college RPO game, or, yeah. which is. You know, it's a variation on the Tennessee theme because the run games are different. But, you know, mm. it's kind of like what Tennessee did. They miss A.J. Brown. I mean, mm. and I, I thought Burks was will come along and become a, a similar kind of receiver. Guy. Yeah. But I don't yeah, think yeah. he's there right now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and last year after Derrick Henry got hurt, mm-hmm. um, A.J. Brown carried that team. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one final one on the Cowboys and Dak's return. What do you make of the of the Dallas offense? Because <laughs> yeah. they were well, the, booed the, off the, at the, halftime. Of yeah, the key to that game is that Den- uh, Detroit was averaging 35 points a game. Mm-hmm. And in the last two games, they've scored six. <laughs> yeah, and the sort of a bye week for them as well. So, yeah, yeah. so so they, they kind of ran into two defensive coordinators who were smart enough to figure out what they... Now, in fairness, De- DeAndre Swift has been out. Yeah, and Saint Ra has been hurt. You know, hasn't yeah. really contributed. Well, he went out yesterday with concussion, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that's that's huge because mm-hmm. that that was their those were their two big playmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Swift is a real, you know, Swift is McCaffrey basically mm-hmm. with a bit more explosion, uh, explosion. I think. Yeah. Um, but they use him. They use they use him the way Carolina should have been using McCaffrey. I think a lot a lot more. Um, so yeah, but Dallas. I was impressed because they didn't go like we said last week. They didn't go crazy with Dak's return. Mm. They kind of they kind of stuck to the formula they'd been using with Cooper Rush, mm. um, and you know a lot of running, uh, a lot of play action. Uh, don't put yourself in a position where Dak's dropping back three times and you know having having to find things. And it and it worked well. Mm. Um, you know, I think Rush didn't get enough credit for the fact that that he did that. He did that well. And, um, you know, now that Dak's back, they, it probably gives him a little extra option going deep. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think they should stick to that. Their defense is seriously good. Um, so, you you know, you want to be avoiding avoiding the turnovers um, and, and sit, responding situationally. I don't think they're good enough to be breaking games open the way Kansas City might. Mm-hmm. Um, but who is, you know, who is? So you, you, know, got, but, you got Kansas City and the Bills, your, your top two. They're yeah. in that chasing pack underneath. The Dallas in that group with Dak back. 
um, on, on that defense. I they have to be right. They'd have to. Yeah, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably want to wait a week to see to yeah. see how that pans out. You know, Bengals, but Bengals are in the mix. The Bengals are, are coming up that way. I always want to put the Ravens there, but I'm not. I'm not yeah. totally. Hey, you know, there's so many questions when you look when you look at these teams. So many yeah. question marks. San Francisco ought to be. Yeah. But you know, but I'm still. It's still like wait and see. Yeah. Um, Miami Ditto. You know, yeah, for sure. The, the cream of the crap who's got you know <laughs> who's going who's going to uh, come up. What are you as, writing about this week? As, in, uh... as Mike Lombardi said, the truth is in the pudding. <laughs> I want a Lombardi malapropism every week, Carson. When you're honest. Uh, what are you writing about this week on Patreon? Um. Yeah, I don't know at this point. Um, I keep I keep like postponing things, and then they go out of relevance. But this <laughs> this past week, I wrote about Charlie Trippy, um, who Trippie. died at age one hundred. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the mm. College Football Hall of Fame. Trippy Trippy's an amazing story um, because he he came out of Pennsylvania and went to Georgia because there was a a, no, a, a Georgia football immortal from the early part of the 20th century who ran a coke dealership in the area in Pennsylvania. And then he's, he also refereed high school games on Saturdays and he had seen Trippy and Trippy was kind of a skinny back, but he recognized the talent. He talked Georgia into giving him a scholarship. So, so Trippy goes to Georgia and he plays in the same backfield um, with Frank Sikowicz, who won the Heisman Trophy in Trippy's sophomore year. And they went like nine and one. They won the Rose Bowl. Trippy was the star of that game. Then he goes in the Army for two years mm-hmm. and he's on the all Army, all services team in 44 um, with like Otto Graham and four or five other pro football Hall of Famers. He in in 45, he's playing in the college all-star game against the NFL champions. He played in five college all-star games <laughs> because the war, they changed the eligibility thing. So he played for a couple while he was in the army. Yeah. He played for a couple while he was in Georgia and he played for one with the Chicago Cardinals. But he was 36 years old. Players. So anyway, what happens is he's so good in the 1945 college all-star game that um, Bidwell, who owned the Cardinals and the family mm. still does. Still does, yeah. Told, told him he wanted him and he drafted him in 45 because he was technically draft eligible. He comes out of the army and he goes back to Georgia and in, in um, 40, in 45 for about six games in 46, they go undefeated. He doesn't get the Heisman trophy because it goes to Glenn Davis from army. Um, but he's second, second in the voting and he gets, um, he gets drafted by the All-American Football Conference, New York Yankees, who are owned by Dan Topping, who owns the New York Yankees baseball team. Mm. Now, meanwhile, in the spring of 40... Is that who Van Brooklyn played for, the Yankees? Am I right? No. No, okay. No. Um, anyway, uh, Ace Parker did, though. No, Ace Parker played for the... I mentioned Dodgers. about Brooklyn because Borough was gunning for his record yesterday, and he came up. Yeah. Right? You came up and did that. 554 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway... In the spring, he plays baseball and he hits 435 and hits 11 home runs in 20 games for Georgia. <laughs> Amazing. So, so before, so he plays for the Atlanta Crackers, which was the Southern Association baseball My team. My favorite team. And he hits, it's a great name. What? The Atlanta Crackers. Wow. The Atlanta Crackers. They were proud that. of it. Oh, and, yeah. And um, so he, he hits 335 for them. So the Yankees have a press conference announcing they're signing him to play baseball for the Yankees and football for the Yankees. But in the meantime, Bidwell has given him $100,000 for four years to play for the Chicago Cardinals. Oh, that's a big change, change in those days. So he signs that. That was huge, yeah. Mm. And as a rookie, he wins the NFL championship with the Cardinals in the what they called the dream backfield with with Paul Christman and Marshall, Marshall Goldberg mm. um, and Dan Harder. And he plays halfback. And... The, by now they're in the T formation. He'd always been a single wing tailback before mm-hmm. that. And anyway, they win the they win the championship, which is the first one undisputed one that they had won, um, and the last one they haven't won since forty seven. And they beat the Eagles in a game where the field's covered with ice, and he wears sneakers and, and wins. The next year they play the Eagles for the championship again in the in the famous game in Philadelphia where the blizzard comes, mm. and like you know the players can't. Um, it's a seven nothing game, and, and he to his dying day he said that game never should have been played. You know, it wasn't <laughs> football. It was a bunch of guys standing around pushing each other because you couldn't see, see where yeah. where you were. Anyway, so as his pro career, he plays halfback. 
Then he moves to quarterback for a couple of years. Then of he course. moves to defensive back when they go to two, <laughs> two platoon football. Yeah. And so his overall record, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's the only guy with over a thousand yards rushing, receiving and passing. Mm. Um, and 20 interceptions. <laughs> yeah. And then he becomes like a baseball coach at Georgia. He was a, he's an assistant coach for the Chicago Cardinals who moved to St. Louis, who moved to Arizona. And just a remarkable guy. It and, sounds it. You know, Georgia had a big birthday party on his hundredth birthday. And Kirby Smart was there and, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of, and, so, and you just looked at the guy and he was very frail at the time, but he's still sharp. You know, you're still yeah. going, going on about, it. I just, Seems I just like think that legend. kind of thing just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's really. no room for it to happen. So yeah. Charlie Trippy, that was my piece. That was the, the key piece in the, in my long rant of a column. <laughs> Love that. I'm raising a glass to Charlie Trippy. And if you want to get involved uh, with our Mike's uh, stylings and profilings, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson. And, and what was yesterday now? Uh, National Tight Ends Day. Yeah, what, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, you got to put the. I saw your picture of uh, of you uh, in action that I love that you pushed out on Twitter. So we'll retweet that from the NC Show handle. That was you uh, seeing I Mike in action. Uh, it's always who's. The, what's the story about the kid in the background in that picture that's looking? That kid is actually yeah. the son. The son right. of one of our coaches who was. That's right. our, he was our freshman coach. Um, and he was the scout, the advanced scout for mm. for our games. Um, Shocked also... that you made a play in that picture. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of weird. That game, see, that was my second, my my um, junior year, mm. and they had moved me to split end to start the season, mm. and the other tight end who had been hurt the previous year. Um, was starting and then they decided that that wasn't going to work because they didn't like me. And Surely so, not. so the two of us kind of competed for the tight end job. Mm. So in this game, the other guy started and Worcester's pass defense was not great. So he got a couple of touchdowns early. They, they finally put me in in the second quarter. And that was one of like three passes I caught in the last two minutes of the first half. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't play the rest of the game. The rest of the season. And then I, then I barely played for the, for like the next three, you know, oh, I would just shocking. do an odd place here and there. And then I realized many years later that it was probably because I had, um, shall we say, um, dated the coach's daughter. Dated. Well, almost <laughs> I had, I had uh, picked up, the tight end coach's girlfriend the the previous spring at uh, at a Sam and Dave concert on campus. (laughs) And it never occurred to me that, you know, that this might've, we had this great time, great quote unquote. Oh yeah. But you did. And, and um, then she's kind of said like at three in the morning. So I got to get going. I got to find my date. And I said, Oh, you know, where is he? He said, well, you might, you know, you, you know, he's a football coach. His name's Hap Clark. I went, oh! <laughs> <laughs> the most Carlson story I think I've ever heard in my life. But then by the next season, I'd forgotten about that, but I yeah, suspect, I suspect <laughs> that the substitute, when he looked down the bench to see if, you know, there was anyone who should go in and I was yeah. sitting there and he just thought, uh-uh. no, not you. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> uh, at Carlson Sports, you follow the big man on Twitter and as I say patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson F-M-T-E and every Monday here on the NC show great stuff bud look after yourself (laughs) I'll try someone has to (laughs) lovely stuff from Iron Mike Uh, he's back every Monday make sure if you haven't checked out some of the episodes in the vault there's uh, a lot of smart stuff and a lot of fun as well with all of those episodes thus far this season. we got Phoebe Schechter in the house later on this week, all pro Phoebe Schechter. She was in studio with me last night in Propo uh, over on TalkSport. And uh, indeed, we are going to be at Wembley on Sunday with Christian as well, Scotland Williamson in the mix uh, and the TalkSport crew. So looking forward to that. we got Propo and Edge Rush. I'm not going to talk about it, gang. I'm just going to move on by NFFS as well. Now that I am going to talk about as well. Big week for DJ Moore. Big week for my team in the Daily Fantasy League. If you haven't already, go subscribe uh, and uh, join up to our DraftKings Listener League. Uh, We have every week free to enter contests, all kinds of other stuff as well. We've got some really cool prizes rolling and uh, have a lot of fun going up against me and Propo and the Guru Sandrini. And uh, we're going to get show teams dropping in as well. Shane Vereen's going to pop in a team this week, I think. So yeah, all kinds of stuff rolling there. All of these episodes flying out throughout the course of the week. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Yeah, shout out to all your TikTok crew. We've got her up and running on that. Uh, and Aman and the guys pushing out some good stuff there. Shout out to Andy as well over on socials, getting our content out there. So we appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back midweek with Phoebe. See you then. Bye for now.
Podcast Network.